welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Um, let's do the step three prayer. Um, we can do call response if folks aren't familiar. It's at page 63 um, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Well, thanks, Daniel, um, for inviting me. Um, this is uh, the way of all things now, Zoom. So, uh, or we don't have to use the trademark name, but at any rate, um, why I needed to say something for me, of course. And um, for me, oh, let me just say I do qualify as a member of Sexholics Anonymous. Uh, by the grace of God and the fellowship of SA, I haven't had to act out on lust since 2 7 of 1983, for which I'm never sufficiently grateful. And um, when I came to SA, I was miserably single. I would never have ever come here if I thought there was one more door, one more boyfriend, one more relationship that would have kept me uh, from dealing with who I was and what my life had become. Um, yeah, it says, uh, it says in um, the big book, he is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And uh, I was becoming um, Dr. Jekyll at work. Um, I was doing things that I easily would have been fired for. Um, I, felt like a junkie and I needed to have a needle in my veins with another human um, several times a week. And the pursuit of lust became all consuming. Uh, somehow I was able to hold down a job marginally. Um, what also helped me in my sobriety, or I wasn't actually sober at that time, I was qualifying for SA. <laughs> Uh, in, I believe it was June of 1981, Roy, uh, sent a letter to Dear Abby, the advice columnist in the U.S., and, uh, he described himself as a guy, uh, who used prostitutes, masturbated compulsively, tried everything he could think of, um, and, uh, he had, uh, found a 12-step fellowship he called, uh, Sexaholics Anonymous, and he signed it set free in LA. And it still gives me the shivers. It was 
um, so powerful. And I thought, well, I'm not married. I'm not using prostitution. You know what I mean? Like we're always looking for the differences, not the similarities. But after about three months, I, um, I actually didn't do it myself, but I had a friend ask box 300 to uh, send some, some literature. And I have every letter that Roy K ever sent me. And uh, anyway, he sent me a couple of names, which for me didn't pan out, but then I didn't really want to be sober. Um, as I said, I had uh, one more, one more bottle, one more relationship. And, uh, you know, I think this guy got, got better and he realized by toots. So, um, at any rate, uh, he left me with an automobile because <laughs> I was like, you can't leave me with nothing. So anyway, I went to meetings in Dallas, actually in Fort Worth. I was living in Denton, um, where I learned that, um, you can actually live without alcohol too. Um, and some people feel like, well, you know, when I was drinking, I did this. No, I didn't need to be drinking. I liked drinking. Um, but I would do this stuff drunk or sober. And, uh, I think probably one of the bottom moments, cause sometimes the bottom, it, you know, it's kind of a progressive bottom, but I remember that my brother who never visited me ever, I was in new Orleans and he had just come off of a, um, a nine month, uh, teaching gig in the desert, basically. And he came to my house and, um, I was so sick. I stayed out the night that he showed up, not because I didn't like my brother, but because I had to get a fix. And I don't know. If, I know that I, I think my brother came home and told my family, wow. Kathy's really weird or something. You know, he didn't say what it was, but uh, yeah, I just, you know, in other words, I was doing things against my best interest, against my own will. And that's kind of the moment, not because, boy, you're sure sick or, you know, you could lose your job or you could get venereal disease or, you know, back in the day it was venereal disease. Of course, now it's much worse. Um but doing things that no matter how hard we want to, we can't stop. And um, I kind of backed out of my hell one step at a time. Um, I did have one last hostage and he turned me loose. And that was my first day of sobriety. Um, I felt very upset that other people in SA I knew, for example, you know, the few people I knew in SA, uh, Many of them seem to be married. And I thought, how come you get to be married, right? And of course, I was not a candidate for a relationship with anybody. And, uh, you know, it took me <laughs> literally like about three and a half to four years to figure out that God's plan for me was that I was going to wait and let my higher power select my spouse. Now, I will say, once I got connected with SA, and that really happened, I was kind of a loner in Texas. And uh, in 1987, from 1983 to 1987, uh, I had gone to one international where I met Sylvia in 1986. That would have been in St. Louis. 
And uh, uh, Sylvia and I um, have been the best of friends ever since. She actually uh, was my matron of honor at my wedding. And um, I stayed sexually sober uh, up to my wedding day. And um, that was a total miracle. Um, as I said, it began to dawn on me when I was meeting finally with all of you at retreats and, and this kind of thing, that it was important to let it go, whatever it was. My letting go of, I have to be married. I'm going to be all alone. I wanted to have a family, blah, blah, blah. And people just said, just keep waiting. You will know without a shadow of a doubt when this when this situation happens. And um, when I met my husband, I knew in like, I don't know, 30 seconds that <laughs> he was going to be my husband. We did have a courtship. Uh, I moved to New York and uh, got had was real lucky uh, to be able uh, to go to the meetings there. Uh, lots of fellowship. And I also want to put a word in for uh, what was then described as the Eastridge guys who, um, along with, um, I think, the co-author co of the 12 and 12, um, had kind of created all all addictions anonymous, all addicts anonymous or whatever, uh, to address the problem of lust, um, alcoholism, food, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe they're still, still going. Well, I got married, uh, on, uh, 729 of 1989. And uh, I had another friend, Betsy T who, uh, was in my, uh, wedding and, uh, we had a Catholic wedding, which is what I wanted. And, um, I loved being in New York. I could go to any meeting I wanted to. It was so fun. We used to meet each other after meetings, the meeting after the meeting, the meeting before the meeting. Um, the fellowship was great. And we really enjoyed being with one another, which has changed since um, I moved to Washington. But we did have our first daughter, our, our first child, who was born in 1992. And... Um, I didn't want to do anything different than what I was comfortable with, which was not too much. Um, but um, I uh, struggled uh, with postpartum depression for a period of time, which was eased. Um, when I returned to work, I got to take my little one to work, which was incredible. Um, but uh, anyway, I had a big goal. I wanted to go to law school and all this kind of thing. And we pulled up stakes and moved to Olympia, Washington uh, in 1994. And um, after some bumps, we, um, we, my husband and I had actually kind of visualized when we wanted to have our kids. And of course, you know, I was an older gal, an older mom. So we, we had a couple of uh, miscarriages, but at any rate, so um I didn't realize that like I had to conform to the world when it came to uh, where children fit in. Um, you can't bring them to meetings after a point, certain point. Um, they're not really welcome if they can't sit still or, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, at any rate, I had um, my second child in uh, 1996 and um it's hard to say. I had kind of this thing of being an, an incredibly attached mother. 
uh, to where my, I would just have these horrible anxiety attacks, um, if I couldn't be near my, my children. And of course, you know, I was going to meetings. I've still been a meeting, meeting, meeting. And, uh, but at any rate, we got an essay meeting started in, uh, 1994. We had, uh, listened. How am I doing on time? I think you said 25 minutes, 30 minutes, at least 30 minutes. And you're doing fine. No problem. Right now. There's no question. Okay. We are I'm loving, to... We're loving it. Thank you. We... You're awesome. Anyway, um, you know, my vision was to do everything I wanted to do, which is, you know, work, meetings, goofing off um, with my children. And uh, I actually got to do that. Uh, when we got together, we had gone to um, a bunch of us met in um, at the spring retreat in Estacada, Oregon, which just about burned to the ground uh, three or four months ago. Um, but at any rate, Roy was speaking. And Roy wanted to tell the world that we weren't just going to do um, getting current meetings anymore because he didn't, that, that wasn't working for him. So anyway, he said, we've got this new format. It's going to be one hour and it's going to be a book study. And uh, I don't know, I didn't realize there was a difference between, you know, what other people were doing. And uh, at any rate, um, there were about 12 or 13 of us who said, we got to have a meeting. And at that time, we had a couple of people who were involved with courts and uh, they couldn't leave the confines of King County. So here was here I was down the interstate in Olympia. There were people in Tacoma. And then uh, there were some folks in King County, Seattle. And so we said, we've got to have something over the King County line where the guys who are in trouble uh, for sex offenses can go to the meetings. And um, so we had this amazing organic meeting that happened. And um, the one part um, that I think is indispensable when it comes to ha living happy, joyous, and free is having fellowship. And of course, that's the one thing that we all crave that we're doing the best we can with what we have right now. But we celebrated two things. We celebrated when we opened the meeting. And so it started in 1994. And uh, so we would have a potluck in a speaker meeting with an Essanon speaker. And uh, we always had childcare every week, no matter what. And we did the old time first step, uh, you know, the meeting before the meeting with, with a prospective person, because of course there was no internet. Um, and uh, I don't want to tell you, you know, we said, nah, you don't qualify. We never had to say that. I did have some lady running out of the meeting, like, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> and I was sick enough to chase after her. But uh, anyway, um, but uh, and then we always had a holiday, um, you know, meaning uh, December, Thanksgiving, Christmas, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we did that without exception for nine years. And um, that was incredible. You know, my Saturday was focused around whatever I did, you know, maybe study, uh, work out. And then about five o'clock, 
with the kids in the car. Sometimes my husband would come and just babysit the kids, you know, just to be with them. So um, probably if I wouldn't have been so compulsive about insisting that my kids, you know, be with me, um, I might not have been that attentive to uh, essay and the family. But um, yeah, and I, I, uh, you know, things changed uh, for us. Um, Once upon a time, people took their kids into meetings. And of course, that became a very bad idea. And um, yeah, yeah, but back to the meetings. Uh, The one thing, and uh, I had spent time in Portland. I didn't kind of go through some of my story with being single. But in um, 1987, I came back in sobriety to Portland, which was my old stomping grounds in the 1970s. And I started going to meetings in Portland. So it's 1987. And Portland had this elaborate, uh, what do you do, the nature of my addiction. So they would have these huge meetings and people would spend two to three minutes describing their disease. And by that time, 20 minutes had passed. So then they had a break and then, you know, and I just, I just thought, how is this helpful? And one time uh, I was at a meeting with 50 people and it was almost an hour. And, you know, and after a while, you know, I'm starting to think of new devious ways to, practices disease that I don't need to hear from anybody else because I got my own, you know, brain to hear. So um, I think the, the, uh, the one hour book study format really took it out of, you know, kind of the drama of, you know, what it was like. Okay. 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 You know, we all have a story and what happened, what, and it's very interesting that I have so much more of a story to share with you tonight. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, most of the time when something bad happens, uh, we think to ourselves, this is terrible. I don't know why this is happening. Why are you doing this to me? Lord, blah, blah, blah. And, um, uh, I've, uh, had a, a, my older daughter hated school and, um, I knew she hated school and I didn't really have a remedy for what to do. So I kind of watched her underperform and underperform and, and, uh, you know, we, we dragged her to therapy. In fact, the four of us went to therapy, uh, at one point. And, uh, I remember my therapist asking me, so why can't you just drop your kid off in daycare? And I thought, Gary, if I knew that answer, would I be sitting here sharing, you know, and it was just, it was really, really uncomfortable. I do want to say though, that medical science has made many, many uh, um, advances. And um, if any of you are suffering, and it's, you know, like depression, and I do need to just say this. um, I was never comfortable. I thought people hated me. Um, And uh, one time, uh, I remember just to give you a, a snapshot. I was at an essay convention in 1997. Um, and, uh, I had my new baby, uh, who was like six months old. Anyway, uh, they put me on the 19th floor and all I could think about was 
trying to prevent myself from figuring out a way to open the window so I could throw my child out the window. So those were the kinds of invasive thoughts that I had that tortured me. And uh, anyway, I was finally able through an SA sponsor who did, who did this for a living. She said, you need to get help. Go get help. Get on medication. Do something. And of course, I was making colossal mistakes. Uh, you know, professionally, I had, you know, I was an attorney, I was getting fired from jobs and just saying, shooting stuff out of my mouth and this kind of thing. And, uh, but that has, that has um, improved a lot. But I'm going to fast forward now to say the, um, oh, I don't know, 2010. Uh, my daughter did not finish high school. And, you know, again, we're dragging her to the to the therapist and I don't know what's the matter. And we tried this thing and we tried that thing and nothing seems to work. And anyway, um, at some point she, uh, in about 2015, I think she uh, had some kind of car accident and was prescribed um, a powerful uh, prescription uh, narcotic. And um, I'm sure you all know what's uh, happened next. Um, but so we've uh, been on that merry-go-round for a number of years. But here's where um, the family, you know, the family afterward. And again, you know, I think, uh, why does this happen to me? And then the other kid was getting in trouble too. And uh, I want to say that actually the system helped me as a parent because I couldn't control what my children were doing and how they were doing it. Um but in the fullness of time, uh, with um, I, I, there was a point in time where I really thought that the best solution to my problem was to split from my husband. And many of you know, Dan, if you've been, uh, we've been married, you know, I mean, was 31 years this year. And we were tearing each other up over what to do about this kid. And uh, I just thought, you know, people lose marriages all the time about things like this. And um, so, because I'm a 12-stepper, uh, I'm not quite sure how I got tapped on the shoulder, but we went to a support group, a 12-step group for families and often parents of people who are addicted, uh, you know, chemically dependent. And... Uh, I just thought, God, my marriage is more important than whatever happens with my kids. And I, you know, sometimes that sounds kind of goofy, but, you know, it's sort of like God, you know, sobriety, self, marriage, children. And um, I didn't really expect too much. Um, you know, we would kind of go from pillar to post and Oh, I don't know. My daughter would get locked up for a weekend and, you know, and he'd give her money. But I have to tell you, the things I did were so sick. Like, here, let me buy your heroin for you. That's how sick it got. And um, I just thought, this is this is not how I want to live. So anyway, lo and behold, if I work the traditions in the in the marriage, in the family, it turns out that my higher power, our higher power, higher power in the family has found a way 
for us to reunite as a family. And, you know, I want to do a drug test every other minute, but I don't do it. But I see my daughter doing things poco a poco, just a little bit at a time, new behaviors that I would never have noticed prior to this because I would have been so much in my fear. Uh, is there something you want me to know? No? Okay. Um, yeah. So let me refer um, briefly uh, to my other child who uh, was born uh, in my dotage um, in 1996. And um, uh, I know SA tends to be, um, what's, what's a, okay, old fashioned, how's that? old-fashioned with respect to sex conduct. And I'm not criticizing that, but essentially, um, SA, I think, has never really had a um, comfortable relationship with those of us who uh, are same-sex identified. And um, of course, I was one of these people and um, I'm not really interested in, you know, who, what, where, why, when, bisexuality, all the rest of it. Um, but let me just say that my daughter came out as a lesbian in uh, 2014, when, uh, no, 2011. So she was very young, maybe 13. And I thought, I am supposed to learn how to love this child and accept her for what she is. And that has, you know, I have to let go. I have to let go, but she is very stable. Her, her partner is very stable. Uh, they pay their own rent. Uh, they both have work. Uh, my daughter wants to go back to college. And, um, you know, it's not what I thought it would be. Not what I thought it would be. I don't really need grandkids at this point in time. I'm fine <laughs> with, you know. But um, anyway, there's always a place for, you know, kind of changing that perspective and saying, okay, Lord, this feels terrible. Would you like to give me a hint about where I can take this situation or whatever? So I feel a lot more peace of mind now uh, being able to turn my family um, over to God. And um, it's made dealing with um, the pandemic easier too. You know, we learn one day at a time. We miss each other face to face. Um, but, um, you know, we're going to survive this. And uh, sobriety is worth, you know, bear any burden pay any, whatever that is that, that, you know, Wilson, Winston Churchill said. So anyway, that's, that's uh, kind of my life up till now. And, um, and, uh, you know, I have not been in the middle of essay, uh, for a while, almost three years, my local group voted to be another, another fellowship. And I said, so anyway, um, uh, I've been doing phone, phone meetings, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, you know, just the fact that I'm here today is such an affirmation of the power of the fellowship that just draws, draws us in. And, and so that we can 
give meaning to what we had back back there. And um, I'm never sufficiently grateful. So thank you. Oh, I, I have 10 minutes to go. Oh, my goodness. Really? How about this? Now, did, did we say we wanted to do um, um, uh, question and answer? Yes. Or is that after the 10 minutes? Why don't, can we use this time? You bet. We should sure can. Okay. I am not a sage. All I have is my experience, strength, and hope. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, if this is a place where you need to tell us, um, I would like to kill my child or something like that. <laughs> what's, what's is said here stays here. So I know how you feel if things have gotten right. done. So anyway, thank you. Here's a question from one of our uh, participants, from one of the attendees. Does Catherine have any word for women like me who were infertile and wanted a family like hers? Bit off topic, I suppose. I understand if not asked. No. Um, could I ask just a couple of things? How old is the lady? Uh, if the you woman? could, without giving, um, if you could type that in, uh, 55. 55. And so the question is how to bring that into her life, bring children into her life, or? She's a widow. Oh, she's widowed. Yeah. So at widowed in essay. Yes. Okay. And um, between like two and five years of sobriety, one to two. No, she's brand new in sobriety. She only joined the program several weeks ago, but she's part of several programs. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I understand um, that early sobriety and, and actually continuing on living, you know, living uh, life with the steps. Um, there are so many regrets. And, uh, you know, we, it's almost the, the pain of woulda, shoulda, coulda, um, you know, my life is over, that kind of thing. I think everybody who comes into this fellowship can identify with that kind of feeling. And actually, and I was horribly lonely, horribly lonely. Um, I was living in a really remote part of Texas. Uh, I didn't really have a home group. Um, and I, I, the people who are coming to meetings, you'd have to arrest them now. That's how bad they were, you know? Really, you'd have to call the police on them. Um, but um, I'll tell you what, I really suffered from loneliness. Um, and I would just I would just imagine my higher power, you know, just kind of enveloping me um, in his arms. But what helped me a lot? Now, I don't know if this person is a pet owner but I, and oh, and I had another crappy thing happen to me in sobriety. At three years of sobriety, um, I was a victim of a home invasion robbery. And uh, fortunately, I wasn't raped, but I was hit pretty hard on the head. And uh, I had a PTSD and all this kind of stuff. And um, I eventually, it eventually got me back 
to uh, Washington where my family was. But at any rate, um, the, these friends of mine who weren't in the program said, Catherine, you need a dog. I said, oh, I don't know. Can I take care of a dog? Um, but even though I wasn't that great of a, of a dog owner, um, that dog, I would just hold her and just cry my eyes out, just cry my eyes out. And, you know, eventually I'd be out of tears. And, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I had a hard time being in, you know, experiencing other people. And I don't know if that's because of great mental and emotional disorders or just being really thick-headed or what. So I had... I was really struggling with like emotional, what do you say? Emotional intelligence or whatever that was. Um, and um, I remember I decided just to pick up and leave uh, after two years of uh, this job that I'd had. And uh, I told my mother, mom, I'm going to get rid of Chula. She said, Catherine, you can't do that. She's in your family. So I said, okay, mom, you know, and, we uh, packed up the pup, and and uh, I had her for about seven more years after that. And, uh, yeah, but that, I felt like that dog made such a difference. And, and in terms of, like, children um, or, you know, couldn't have the children, um, I feel like this. I would have been willing, and I, I told my higher power, I don't care if I don't have a husband or children, if that's what you want for me. But, you know, that's not what I want for me. So I'm just letting you know. You know, I talked to my husband like that. But um, also to pray to be of service. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, people do, you know, single people do... Um, have adoptions and that kind of thing. But the one person I did not want to take care of was myself. So that's probably a pretty tall order for at least the first two years of sobriety. So let us love you. Um, and, uh, you know, God has a plan. Your higher power has a plan. And, uh, Jess Lair used to say, some of you know Jess, he was he was in the class of 1983. He would say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. So I, I always love that. But I, I wish you the best. And I hope you can uh, drop in on the um, uh, the Zoom, uh, let's see, 530 Pacific, 830 Eastern uh, women's meeting. Um and uh, it's great. So thank you. Thank you so much. Her last two things was, yes, she doesn't have pets. So thank you for that. But she does say um, how to cope with grief of no kids. And she's 22 days sober. <laughs> Keep grieving. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't mean to make light, but. Um, yeah, just. You know, God wants us, and then Roy used to say this, and it sounded kind of, I don't know, 
old school, kind of hard shell religious, but um, he, um, the higher power has an absolute, you know, all knowing, at least for me, sense of why we are here, what, you know, what is the meaning of this? And so if I just want to sit and cry about how did this happen? Why did I lose my spouse? Why don't, you know, I want a husband, you know, that's all I thought about for like two years. I want a husband. Where's my husband? Blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, and my, I actually had a, a woman who sponsored me in a different fellowship and she'd say, Catherine, don't worry. Don't worry. And I would pray. Now I got dumped, which was a good thing, but I would pray, uh, for the person who dumped me. Uh, so I would stop obsessing and, you know, it took 18 months, but one day I realized I hadn't thought about that guy the whole day. And it was a revelation to me. And um, I think one of the great things about being in early sobriety, I mean, it's like getting thrown into a pond of cold water, right? It, it, just everything is so intense. Enjoy it. You know, enjoy these feelings that maybe we've been pushing down or, or whatever. Um, share it. Call people. Uh, we, we do have Give um, yourself time. Time takes time. Yeah. So on the topic of recovery with the family and conflict with the spouse over the kids, one of the biggest challenges in my recovery has been navigating parenting with my wife or more appropriately dealing with my wife's anger towards our kids. I freeze up, get traumatized, childhood stuff, and get angry back at her. Any ESH, which is experience, strength, and hope? Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Um, thank you for the question. Um, that doesn't sound like something, uh, that sounds like that's going to take more than experience, strength, and hope. And, um, I don't, you know, I mean, the anger is depression, right? And, um, I don't know how many children, you know, are involved, but two children just, I just felt drowning in confusion, being upset, being anxious, uh, you know, and of course, I mean, it wasn't always that way, uh, but I never had peace of mind, never. And, um, but if the, the spouse uh, is acting in a way that it, it, it sounds like it makes, it makes the, 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 the person, you know, in the room, really afraid and I'm sure it frightens the children and in this kind of thing uh it may be it may be that how do I say this I think what I do in plain English is I would talk to either a religious you know rabbi priest minister um and uh, I would also um, see if there were um, some kind of counseling, at least for the person. Um, but that kind of thing is not going to go away. 
And uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I think unfortunately the spouses uh, beyond human aid or at least uh, regular humans. And uh, I would have a lot of hope um, and pray to get a medical intervention, which is to say therapy, medication, because that's not the normal way of things. And, uh, mm. you know, I, my family uh, kind of ended up kind of getting into that sort of, you know, we're mad, I'm mad at you, then you get mad at them, and da da da, da. And um, it makes it kind of, it gives permission to everybody to be in in that way. So, uh, yes, seek outside help. Um, And if the children need to be protected, then that's something maybe only you, our brother uh, sexaholic, uh, can, can, can do. So I would, I would get my support group around me, sponsor, you know, a religious, um, other people, wise people. They don't have to be in the fellowship at all. Um, yeah. And because uh, this lady is yelling because she's not being heard, if that makes any sense. So I will pray for you. That sounds very, very tough. But do do not give up hope, and uh, remember that that sort of thing lasts a lifetime with with the kids. So, you know, you hopefully you can act accordingly. All right. Can you offer some ways you work the steps on issues with spouse and children in the home? Okay. Uh, four steps. Uh, resentmentless. Um, and, uh, you know, there's the same resentments all the time. Um, uh, yeah, making sure that, you know, I can kind of air them. And um, I don't know. I don't know if folks are cracking open the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but there's actually... You know, on page 64, it has the format. You know, you say your third step on page 63. And yeah, 64 is the one. Um, I'm angry at Mrs. Jones, the cause. Uh, uh, my wife talks to her. Uh, she says bad things behind my back. Makes me feel, you know, makes me feel, uh, how does it affect me? Sex, uh, sex uh, matters, uh, ambitions, resentments, pride, fear, you know, all that kind of thing. And that's helpful. But there are these other little snippets in that chapter, uh, working with others. I think it's how it works, how it works. Sorry. Um, that says, and this is, this is the kicker for me. How did I set the ball rolling? How did I set the ball rolling? Yeah. So, and then the last one is, what would God want for me? Well, of course, God would want for me to be at peace, for them to be at peace, for me to be forgiving, you know, et cetera. And, um, you know, sometimes it's really, really hard for me 
to get out of my head and go, wait a minute, who who's involved in this situation? Me, right? I'm involved with it. So, and uh, I had a work situation uh, about, oh, I don't know, over a year ago. And um, I basically, when I act out at work, I'm doing like, oh, let me pick up trash because I got OCD, you know, oh, let me do this. Anyway, I didn't come to the job and the, the guy who needed to get the job going had to have me and another person there. I do construction right now. Anyway, this ended up morphing into a really big conflict. And um, I was basically, you know, canceled by these people. And I thought, you aren't fair. You're doing this. But then I thought, like, literally a year later, how did I set the ball rolling? I set the ball rolling by going and wandering around away from the work area and making this guy worry that he couldn't get the job because the flagger had left and he wouldn't have an, you know, I mean like, and this guy said this real, please don't do this again. So I had kind of forgotten that. And so I thought, well, you know, they really had had enough of me. So when I figured that out, um, that gave me the opportunity to, to understand, you know, people aren't doing things in a vacuum. So, and don't, don't be so hard on ourselves, really. I mean, family life is, is work. It's work. Also, let me say that um, I've been under the tutelage of Al-Anon since about 1984, and, uh, yeah, and, um, I, I have a brother, I have a mentally ill brother and, uh, we were in sobriety together, uh, for about uh, almost two years in Texas. Anyway, I learned that my brother would behave himself with me if I had a third party. So if I didn't, you know, I knew better than to spend a lot of time with my brother but like if I met him at a meeting, you know, I mean, it's not the same. Your kids are not your, you know, your, your sibling. Um, but ways, yeah, ways to get untangled for sure meetings. And now, you know, some people are in heavy duty lockdown. We're doing the best we can. These are trying times and uh, they won't be forever. Um, and some, some of us, I understand, you know, you got to work at home, you got the kids at home, school, blah, blah, blah. So, um, we have to cut ourselves some slack. So I hope that's helpful that, uh, that four step with the extra, you know, how did I set the ball rolling? And then what would God want? Thank you. Uh, so a slightly longer question. I'm a 33-year-old man, sober in SA for nearly four years. My wife and I have an 18-month-old, and our second child is due in February. For the past 14 months, I've been a stay-at-home dad as my wife went back to school for a year, and we're now taking turns to take care of our son while the other works, three days a week each. Lockdown has made finding childcare difficult, and although I find taking care of him often quite difficult, I fear even more what might be the impact of putting him in childcare so young? How can I deal with these fears of early parenthood, for example, about feeling incompetent, struggling with emotional sobriety, 
not knowing what, what the right decision to make is, etc. That's a great question. And uh, kudos to you that uh, you have hung in there up till now and you have another one uh, along the way, which, you know, is the best. It's the best. Um, but let me say, I actually have some experience strength and hope. And I felt, I felt like who's going to take care of my kid the way I take care of them and this kind of thing. And uh, partly because uh, we couldn't afford it. I didn't really do like preschool until, uh, I don't know, the last semester before my daughter entered kindergarten. So she hadn't really had organized learning experiences with her peers. And I want to tell you that that terrifically handicapped my child. Uh, I insisted because I thought, oh, we'll take you to the kids. I'm sorry? I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, I put my kid in all day kindergarten and she was absolutely miserable. And I realized looking back that if I had trusted, uh, now that doesn't mean parking your kid there for 50 hours a week because you're not. But I think it's really good. If it's good for the parent, it's good for the child. And, you know, some, I know I've, I had those days where I dropped them off, you know, to go do a $5.50 job and they'd be looking out the window. But it really is good for them. And I do think that I deprived my daughter of necessary socialization at, at about three to four years old. Um, so just because my head is full of this thought doesn't mean it's helpful. And, uh, you know, I, I think staying home is the hardest, hardest thing uh, with children. And, um, and I'm really glad that I had a sponsor who was able to say, you really seem depressed, Catherine. Let's, let's try to move forward with that. So that might be also um, an angle uh, to consider things. Okay. Um, here is the, the next question. Seven kids, been to therapists over it, still feel overwhelmed by it. My one son was crying tonight, but I know I'm not rational about it. So I hear, I hear someone struggling. Um, is there something else maybe that would give me a little something else to go on? If you would like to add something to that. Um, I think maybe they're more looking for strength, some experience. And yeah, I, you know, for me, it was a really good thing that my fertility window closed. Um, uh, yeah, I, um, my second child just, it, you know, I mean, we can't do anything about our, you know, uh, 
bodies, brains, or, or whatever. Um, and I know that in some families, uh, you know, big families are encouraged and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I know my mom, my mother had six children, uh, my parents. And uh, uh, I think it was a terrific hardship for them. And uh, it's, I think it's, um, you know, I mean, of course, children are great. Uh, but it takes an enormous amount of investment that I think it can leave very little time uh, for the couple. So um, I anyway, I'm I'm glad I didn't have more than two children. But I, you know, as I say, I just I had no idea that I was going to have postpartum depression like this. So God was good to me. And I, I hope you can find your way. I, I do. Thank you. All right. I don't know how tired you are. Um, our next speaker hasn't turned up yet. And we do have a request for more stories about Roy K. Um, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. I don't day, know where to start. It's well, at the oh, end of the day, it's not you know, it's not every day that you get to hear from someone who was literally 12 stepped by that dear Abby story. And it's you know, I, I don't think I've spoken to anyone, uh, I think I, I don't think I've heard from anyone up until today who was actually you know, that was their entrance in. We hear the story about the dear Abby letter all the time. Um, somebody, somebody else. I met maybe maybe my friend from Minneapolis. Somebody else got twelve step by that by that column. I know it's Liliana from California. Oh, Liliana got twelve step by yeah. by that. But um, yeah, Roy Roy was kind of a wunderkind. He was incredibly brilliant, and but also kind of crazy. And um, he, you know, he was like a fount of just new ideas, things, um, movements, uh, this kind of thing. And, you know, it's so funny. He always said, I'm not the founder. Don't call me the founder. Okay, Roy. But, you know, it was his garage, Box 300, where, you know, he took he got all those letters and wrote, wrote, and this is so funny. There's so many funny stories about him, but uh, everybody knows about Recovery Continues, right? And uh, the story about Recovery Continues, and of course, Roy wasn't, Roy didn't want us to have the uh, copyright for either Sexaholics Anonymous or Recovery Continues. Now, many of us thought even as long as 20 years ago that, you know, what's up with that, right? And um, so at, at any rate, I don't think that's really been settled very well. Oh, it sounds like someone's coming in. But at any rate, uh, he wanted those stories integrated, I think, with the white book. I think it's how it went. And they said no you know, no. And uh, so he just said, hey, I'm going to publish all these, you know, because he would send these things out like uh, walk, don't run or, uh, 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 
you know, all these many little, you know, he's such a good writer. And, uh, you know, he'd say, tell me what you think, you know, and he'd write, write all this stuff. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, in that way, we all, we all kind of held, you know, held each other up. But, uh, yeah, Roy, Roy did have some demons. He, he did. And, uh, but I'll tell you this. He loved newcomers. He adored newcomers. But if you got a little bit of clean time and maybe you got your head together, he would kind of go, so, but God bless him. He loved newcomers. He, that was his forte. He really, really, uh, uh, he gave, he gave joy carrying the message. So I think that was probably his greatest contribution besides all the writing he did, of course. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.